0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner. And today I was joined by a very special guest. I had Nick Shaw, who is the CEO and co-founder of Renaissance Periodization, sure you've heard of them. Uh, This was a great interview having Nick on the show. Uh, We talked about the evolution of RP, how it all started, um, his personal journey, and then we got into some tips for success, which was my favorite part of the episode. Nick just released a book. It is called Fit for Success. So I've got all that information in the show notes so you can grab a copy. But first, listen to this interview. It is full of information that you guys are going to love. And if you do, we want to hear about it. So, please tag us both in your stories, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and Nick is at nick.shaw.rp. Enjoy the episode. Hi, guys. I am joined by a very special guest on the show. I have Nick Shaw, who is with Renaissance Periodization. Uh, First of all, thanks for joining me.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me. on. really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to hear more about like the evolution of RP. Uh, You guys have been around for a long time. I I remember like even the early days of just, you know, having the eBooks and everything that you guys were doing and to see how much it's grown. um, I'm sure it's been a wild ride from from your perspective. Uh, I'm excited to get into that story. But first, I want to hear more about like your origin story and how you got into the industry and just kind of where it all began.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess... I have an older brother. That's kind of how I first got into lifting when I was probably like eighth grade or so. You know, he was a couple of years older than me. So it was just kind of, he was training for high school sports and, you know, I'm the younger brother and we had some kind of old rackety weights in my parents' basement. And that got me started uh, pretty quickly, got hooked on that. I was like, hey, this is really cool. The harder I work, the more I put into it, the more I get out of it. And I was like, oh, this is probably for me played high school sports. I was actually a runner, believe it or not. Um, but again, same mindset, the harder you work in running, the, the better you're going to get, the faster you'll move up the ranks and did all that through high school. In college is where I met uh, Dr. Mike Isertel. Uh, we met at University of Michigan weight room. He's like, Hey, you're somewhat strong. You should come join our powerlifting club. I said, I don't even know what that is, but sure. So I did that. I competed in a first meet couple weeks, month later, And I was hooked. I just loved it ever since. I kind of knew that was the direction I wanted to go.
0: Nice. Nice. Now, did you see at that point in time that there was like a path for this to be a career versus just something that you're passionate about that you do more as a hobby?
1: Definitely started off as just the passion and hobby. And from there, it was kind of like, hey, because I went to school for sport management. And then, you know, junior year, I really got into lifting. And I was like, okay, well, how can I kind of take what I'm doing and, and maybe spin it into something more in the fitness realm? And I just... You know, kind of thought, hey, I'd, I'd work at a gym or, you know, do something like that. Once I got out, I actually ended up going to New York City as a personal trainer. Uh, Dr. Mike went there as well. So we lived out there for a little bit and we were training some really cool people, you know, some of the you know smartest people in the entire world, right in Manhattan. So that was cool. We got to train. It was really just our life. That's all we did around the clock. Uh, fast forward year and a half later, Dr. Mike left to go back to ETSU to get his Ph.D., uh, I stayed and we were just always referring clients back and forth and kind of just said, hey, well, instead of referring people back and forth, let's start a start a little, little business. And that way, we, you know, it's all under the same umbrella. And that was really what started our piece way back in 2012 or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you think that because you both kind of had that in-person experience and now, more and more, especially with COVID and everything, more and more personal trainers are kind of being forced to to pivot online, and even just online coaching in general has really um, just kind of grown exponentially. Do you feel like the in person experience is still a value? Is it beneficial, or is it something that you kind of have to be a hybrid right from the get go, um, just with the current environment we're in?
1: That's a really good question. So I would lean towards it's almost never a bad idea to start out in person. Cause you have to develop some of those interpersonal skills and interacting with other people. That's always a good thing to have. And also if you're just starting out online, you know, what, what credentials or, you know, social proof do you have to kind of show that, you know, what you're talking about? If you start training in people in person, you know, you just go to like a local gym and whatever, they're probably going to give you some clients who at least get your foot in the door and you get some experience. I would say it would be a little weird to just right off the bat, jump into online coaching because- do you have, you know, do you have any clients? How are you going to get clients that, that, I don't know, that would, that would be my question. Whereas if you have some people in person, you get some testimonials, then you can maybe use that to leverage a little bit online. And of course you have to start small and build up from there, but you know, it doesn't happen overnight and just be consistent with it. But I'd say probably, again, it's a little bit different now because of COVID, but you you always have to probably do a little bit in person just to get some experience. I would think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in agreement there. I think the one, biggest value is the fact that you start to realize quickly about different personalities and how people respond differently to different cues and that sort of thing. Like I know in my early years as a trainer, I would say one cue to one person and they would get it right. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Like I don't have to have anything else in my arsenal. That's it. Everybody else is going to respond the same way. And you learn quickly that that's not the case. Um, So, you know, I don't think that you quite get that kind of crash course with just being online. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like the gift and the curse of our industry in general, which is there's a very low barrier of entry, which is great yeah. because there's opportunity. But at the same time, anybody can just start an IG account and say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an online fitness coach with, like you said, without the in-person experience or really any experience to back it up. Um, so when you were first getting started, did you and Dr. Mike, did you kind of see a, an opportunity that like there was something missing in the industry? Was there like a gap or something that you guys were like, you know what, this is really something that we need to, to fill this void? What was the thought process there?
1: Yeah. So again, this is, you know, almost a decade ago now. And I think there's fortunately been a little bit of a shift. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'd love to hear what you think on this, but I think there's been a little bit of a shift to, to more evidence-based the last couple of years, whereas a decade ago, I don't really think that was the case. People are like, what, like, why do you need science and fitness? You just kind of show up and, and move and do stuff and that's fine. And so that's kind of what our angle was when we first started, because we were like, well, let's use the evidence-based scientific approach. Let's start using that with clients and on ourselves, of course, because we were always experimenting with ourselves. And we, that's how we sort of learned a ton. And we sort of, we kept applying that over time. And then, you know, he went back to get his PhD. And so it's just this big accumulation of knowledge, but that was really why we started like RP, you know, all of our coaches are usually PhDs or registered dietitians, but they're also competitive athletes themselves. And when you can walk the walk and talk the talk, I think that makes a really big difference on how people sort of perceive you because if you only have one or the other, that's certainly good. But if you, if you have both, it's like, wow, you know, not, not a lot of people can say that
0: yeah yeah that I totally agree I think that fortunately it has become more popular to to really be more evidence based and and that sort of thing and having the science to back it up which which is you know needed at this point I think yeah. when you look at just the abundance of information that we have access to uh, it kind of creates a different problem which is now there's a lot of misinformation and yeah. you know and there's a lot of noise that we have to sift through and and that creates just kind of a whole other beast that we're up against but um I'm curious with you know, it sounds like in the beginning, you were kind of more focused on the training side of things. What was the um, kind of the, the transition that you decided, you know, maybe like nutrition coaching or having a platform where you were focusing more on the nutrition side of things um, was going to be the main focus?
1: Yeah, so I was working as a personal trainer in New York City, and it just wasn't a super efficient use of my time. I was having to travel all over the city hop on the subway, go all the way downtown, walk five blocks or something to the gym where, you know, I was going to meet clients. And well, you, you do that for, for a day and it's just, it can wear on you and you get, you're trying to train yourself midday or whatever. And I just quickly was like, boy, this is just not a good use of my time. I wonder if there's anything else that I could be doing. And online coaching then was fairly new ish, I would say you know, 2012, let's call it, maybe even before that, I guess, 2011, something like that. And in, you know, Dr. Mike was doing stuff online because he was uh, working, teaching at school, getting his PhD. And he was like, hey, you know, I can't really keep up with all these clients. Like, why don't you try to work with some people online? I said, awesome. Yeah, for for sure. And then it was a pretty quick realization that, well, hey, instead of traveling all over the city and, you know, maybe earning a hundred dollars, you know, for, for a client or so per hour, that I was kind of going right in New York City. I have no idea what it is now. But I was like, wow, I could, you know, write a couple diet plans or diet and training programs in that same hour. And I don't have to leave my apartment. Like, this is amazing. I said, this is kind of what I want to do more. And I started working more and more towards that. And, you know, that's really what happened. That's how I got started until, you know, to the point where, let's say, we were at 100 clients apiece, which is, you know, I mean, that's a lot. it's It's, it's a lot. And then we're like, okay, well, let's bring in some other coaches. And then, you know, Mike was working with folks at ETSU. And we're almost no one better because these are the folks that are devoting their life to learning how to perform better in sports or whatever. So they came on and we kind of said, well, this is really cool. But I wonder now if we can sort of take this up another notch instead of just one-on-one coaching. Like, is there a way to sell products? And that's when we got into eBooks. We got into eBooks. I was like, Okay this is really cool now because you could you know, theoretically sell hundred thousand, thousands of copies in like a week or so. And it doesn't really cost that much of your time because you've already put in all the work beforehand and now it's out there kind of ready to be distributed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's something I think that we kind of all go through that same exact thought process, which is like, you get to a point where you just physically can't service that many clients anymore. I remember getting to like 120 clients and I was, you know, I had no time for myself. I was, you know, burnt out, just ready to be like, okay, this is, this is too much. Uh, And that's where, you know, for my business, it was like, I I need to bring on other coaches. Uh, And we all kind of have that thought process, which is, is there a way that we can just kind of make it more efficient so that it's not, we're not just trading dollars for hours uh, with the, kind of the productizing your business what's what's that transition or what are, what are some of the challenges because obviously with with one-on-one coaching we can really get into like the ins and outs and nuance of you know, a person's lifestyle and their habits and their personal preferences and their, you know, metabolic fingerprints, so to speak. But then when you're coming up with a product and you're leaving it to the individual to to do a lot of stuff on their own, um, what are some of the challenges that you faced that you tried to work through as you were going from like, all right, we're doing one on one coaching to let's come up with an ebook to help, you know, thousands of people versus just hundreds of people?
1: Yeah, definitely becomes a little bit trickier because you you have all this knowledge. And like you said, within a one-on-one setting, you have that art of coaching experience where you can individualize things very easily to each person. But like when you're just providing information, you kind of have to count on the, the person using that information can apply it a little bit themselves. You know, you can lay everything out for somebody, but, you know, if they need to change one little thing here or there, it becomes kind of tricky for them. So, you know, dealing with customer service issues, people would, you know, get a product and they'd reach out and be like, oh, hey, you know, this is awesome, but what about these three things? And then, of course, like, if you're trying to do all that yourself, again, then you're kind of back in that same model of okay well there's only so many questions I can answer in a day while I'm trying to do everything else and so that was a really big sticking point for a while and then you know social media because again the more people get your stuff usually in what we saw was then more and more people are talking about it and it kind of draws in more and more people so you have to be up on social media you have to make sure you're responsive with everything big thing that we did I think that worked out really well is uh, it was totally on a whim someone was like hey you should make a Facebook group for RP folks and I said, yeah, I really you think like anyone would be interested in that? And I said, okay, I'll I'll try it. And I created the group and you know posted it on Facebook. This is again, I forget maybe even when this was, let's call it 2014, 2015, back when Facebook was actually, you know, worthwhile and valuable. Now it's kind of, you know, whatever. But like literally within an hour after posting this, like several hundred people had joined. I was like, whoa, this is pretty crazy. So what we found there was a lot of people would just get in and share their experiences and they would help each other out. course we were in there helping as well but you know how that is just people get in that community they they feel they feel good because they're helping other people and you know a lot of times it's simple easy questions other people would help answer them and it's like that was a really big relief there's there's pros and cons to that i guess now uh you know now the group has like 102,000 people in it or something crazy like that so it's kind of taken on an entire life of its own which is really (laughs) really interesting
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, it's one of those things that the, like the supportive environment, like you talked about is, is, you know, crucial because a lot of times people don't have that in their physical yeah. environment. They might not have mm-hmm. the friends and family that get it or understand what they're trying to pursue. And then having just a group of like-minded people who are all kind of after the same thing, uh, it just helps. But like said, sometimes it can become a lot when if people are jumping in with what they think is the right mm-hmm. answer, but they're mm-hmm. coming up. Like I said, there's so much misinformation now; it can be difficult to to filter. Um, what do you think? Because I think one of the things that sticks out when I think of RP and and I've you know known about you guys for a long time. Um, I think about just the thousands and thousands of before and afters, like people making significant transformations, and just like the social proof aspect of it. How it just kind of was like this snowball effect of more and more people people sharing and talking about it. Um, what do you think was the I'll, you know, to try and narrow it down because I'm sure you could kind of go in a million different directions here, but to try to narrow down, like, what caused that success and that just kind of compounding effect of, you know, transformation stories and people talking about you guys and growing your audience and just having the amount of, of just, you know, growth that you've experienced over the years.
1: Yeah. So I think it's a few things. And usually anytime anyone asks anything like that, I think, well, you got to have a product that works, right? Because at the end of the day, even if you're the greatest marketer in the world, if you're selling something that just doesn't work, you might get people to to buy it once, but then people aren't going to talk about it. You know, it might even spread negativity. But if you have something that fundamentally works and gets people good results people are going to want to talk about it. And social media is great. You know, Instagram is phenomenal for that. People love sharing those before and afters because they're really proud of their results. So again, that's kind of the cornerstone. You have to have something that works and works well uh, to have good customer service and treat people well. Like the Facebook group, you know, it's good and bad, of course, because, you know, trying to manage 100,000 people with different opinions and all that is tough. But at the same time, it's very public on how we treat people, right? So if someone asks a question and if we're jerks about it, well, people aren't going to think good about RP, they're, they're not going to want to be involved with RP, but if they see that we're there, we're being honest and we're usually pretty straightforward and, you know, pretty quick to respond to things. People are like, oh, okay. Like, that's pretty cool. Like they actually care. You know, they're not just doing it, you know, as a job, like this isn't a job for us. This is our our passion. This is our calling. That's fundamentally why we started RP. So again, I think when you have those two things, it helps. And then again, you get people results. People love to talk about it because they're proud of that. And it draws in more and more people, like you said. And, you know, once, we, we came up with the diet templates. It sort of took the, the coaching model and let it spread a little bit easier. And then all of a sudden, you know, 50 or hundred transformation photos became, you know, several hundred or a thousand. And from there, you know, again, it was the, the social proof was really big. You know, also, you want to add in one more thing, probably the, the uh, authority aspect, you know, because we have PhDs and stuff, you know, Dr. Mike is really great at taking complex ideas and breaking them down. So again, you, you have all this and people are like, oh, you know, yeah, I feel like I can trust these people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to elaborate on that last piece, which is taking complex ideas and simplifying them. Because I think that that in our industry is one of like the cornerstones of being successful and helping. Because if you just take... General population, uh, you know, oh, yeah. you can go into many different rabbit holes very quickly. You know, when it comes to you know hormones and meal timing and meal frequency and you know micronutrients, <laughs> yeah. macronutrients, all this stuff, it can be overwhelming uh, just for an average person who's like, look, I just want to you know be more fit and be healthy and and look good, you know, that type of yeah. thing. You can find yourself going down some some pretty significant rabbit holes. How do you would you say that? you've been able to balance that and just really making it simple and actionable so that somebody's not just buying your product and then leaving it in their email inbox and never opening it, never, you know, utilizing it, but actually saying like, here's the simple basics that you need to execute on to get results and like making it so that it's just easy to digest.
1: Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. The analogy that I always like to give is I could go watch a day's worth of YouTube videos on how to, you know, fix an engine but I'm not ever going to do that. You know, it's just like not my thing and, and I don't have the time for it. So again, you have to be able to kind of uh, the delicate trade-off between you have people want results. Really, at the end of the day, people want results when it comes to fitness, but also you have to make it simple and easy to follow. And so, you know, I think that was one of the big things that always stood out is when we break things down into that like pyramid or the hierarchy structure, it's just like, Hey, start here, focus on these couple things first, master these then you can move up because a lot of times it's like you said, if you have someone general population and you they'll start out asking you what supplements to take. And you're like, uh, let's back it up a little bit here. Like, oh, like how many calories are you eating a day? What's your activity like? And they have no idea. And you're like, okay, let's start here. Let's kind of get these couple things figured out first. And then later on, you know, we'll worry about timing of meals and supplements, things like that. But yeah, it's really interesting how people want to jump people love to sort of assume or they want, maybe want is a better term. They want something simple that's not going to require a lot of work. And it's it's up to us in the fitness industry to be okay, I hear you, but also fitness isn't so easy by itself. Like you actually have to put in the work. And so for us, we got to break things down into that simple to digest format because otherwise people aren't even going to get started. They're gonna they're gonna fall victim to those fads and gimmicks. And you know, we gotta do our best to, you know, not bombard people with you know really crazy long terminology. It's like, hey, what are you eating? Don't eat junk food. Start there. That's a really good start. And people are like, oh, okay, that connects, that resonates with me. Now I feel like I can get started versus you know being intimidated or whatever.
0: Yeah. Is that something that you found yourself dealing with in the beginning, with having clients coming over from like I forget what the statistics are but the average person tries a lot of diets in their lifetime and you know coming from a place of saying you know what I've tried keto I've tried weight watchers I've tried xyz diet I've tried fasting I've tried all these things and here I am I'm still not where I want to be why is this going to be any different did you feel like that was something that you had to kind of overcome especially early on before you had the authority and and you know the the big following that you do now
1: we're still battling that, right? Because we started out RP originally started with more hardcore athletes. And we kind of slowly spread from there from like powerlifting into weightlifting and then into you know more CrossFit, which CrossFit's great because you have a little bit more of a general population group in there, anyways. Because you know, only a handful, five, ten percent are your hardcore athletes in a box. So that was a good sort of introduction to the general population. But yeah, we've been battling that the whole time. And, you know, just imagine. Us, I mean, relatively speaking, we're a very small company when compared with, you know, think about all the, the bigger people out there, like Weight Watchers and stuff that, you know, probably have hundreds of millions of dollars. It's really hard to battle all that. And they, they you know, do a pretty good job because it's like, hey, here's your point system. And again, they kind of nail the calorie balance part. But man, we're always dealing with that. And again, we do find that people try every diet out there and then they come to us. You know, maybe they, they saw a before and after picture online. They're like, okay tried everything else. I'll try this funny name company, you know, RP, whatever it is. And then we don't, we don't sort of promise any miracles. It's like, Hey, we have, we have a good plan to follow, but you, you got to come and work. You got to be consistent. And if you don't have those, like you're never going to achieve success. Sorry. Like it doesn't matter what kind of fat or gimmick you have, but if you don't have those fundamentals, you're not going to do very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and like you said, oftentimes people have the the perception of they want something easy and it's like, oh, well actually, you know, fitness is is pretty hard. And then you realize the alternative, which is not having the results you want is also pretty hard. So you kind of have to pick, you know, pick which difficult you're, you're willing to deal with. Um, you know, so as, as far as like individual Variants that that exists across the board. So even when we look at specific studies and, and using science to to give us you know guidance, um, even within individual studies that will definitively say something along the lines of okay, obviously uh, we need to consume enough protein to maintain muscle mass and all of these you know uh, you know it's highly thermogenic, it's you know gonna increase satiety, all these benefits that we have uh, within a single study, we're still going to see variants across the board, uh, which, you know, the study is going to report the average. Uh, When we kind of look and zoom out and look at a wide population and servicing thousands of people, uh, there's going to be differences with some people are going to prefer more carbs than fats. Some people are going to prefer fats over carbs. Some people are going to prefer, you know, eating more calories towards the end of the day versus the beginning. How do you balance the individual variance that exists when you're talking about, you know, thousands of people, um, which sometimes requires a little bit of like self-awareness and being able to filter information, which, admittedly, some people are just, you know, in general, not that equipped to do. So they want to hear like exactly what to eat, exactly when to eat it. Um, how do you kind of balance that out when you're trying to service that many people?
1: Yeah. The the really interesting part, and I've always been fascinated by this idea is people will come to us and uh, you, you nailed it. They're like, tell me exactly what to eat. And you're like, huh. Okay. And early on, I, I kind of tried that. I was like, Okay. They're asking me, I'd be like, okay, at 3 PM, you're going to have turkey, green beans, and rice. And they're like, I don't like any of those things. And you're like, well, you just told me to tell you what to eat. And so that's kind of where the template approach came from. And now in the app, it's like, we'll tell you when to eat. We'll tell you the amounts to eat. Here's this big list of foods. Just go pick anything in there. Pick from that. You're good to go. So again, you have to provide people with some flexibility because and again, I fell victim to this early on, even working with people one-on-one, you know, even higher level athletes. And that is, I would think that I had the perfect diet written out for people, like down to the exact minute. And I was so proud of that. I was like, man, this is good. They couldn't follow it. They wouldn't follow it. They're like, this is way too hard, way too complicated. And I was like, wow, really? Like these are you know, highest level athletes in the entire world. I'm like, they, like I, I was flabbergasted. If I can use that term. It's, and again, I, I had to step back and make, like, you know what? it really is. The adherence and consistency is the biggest factor above all else. And that is where the art of coaching meets the science of nutrition. And you have to balance those two equally a little bit, not always equally a little bit. Some people, you know, be much more strict than others, but you have to have that in there and you have to give people some flexibility. A good example would be someone like Rich Froning. He doesn't like to eat in the morning before he goes and works out. I told him, I was like, Rich, this is not a good idea. like, please don't do that. He said, ah, it's just, I'm going to do that. And I was like, okay. So I had to tweak some things and I'm like, well, it's my job as a coach to sort of meet in the middle. And so just kind of push some food later back to, to the day, you know, after he would get done training, he would have a really big meal. He would go train again. He would have a really big dinner and he would usually have like another big meal before, uh, before bed. I'm like, Okay. It's not quite ideal, but again, you have to have a little bit of that balance in there. Otherwise people are just never going to stick to it.
0: Yeah. And I think that, that, is the main takeaway um, for those listening. Like, listen to that again, because it's really about the consistency and adherence above all else. And, you know, you can try to create optimal all you want or the perfect plan all you want. And if you can't stay consistent, it's not doing any good. Um, And that works for both, you know, training and nutrition. You know, you could take the best design training program ever created if you're only following it 50 percent of the time it's not doing you much good um, so understand and, and that's what i what i mean by that individual filter that we all need to be able to operate with so even when you hear some well-backed research that might be applicable just understand that if it's something that you know like like meal timing for example if it's something that causes you to be more inconsistent, then it's doing more harm than good, get back to the basics. Mm -hmm. So if we kind of have that understanding that when you look at the pyramid of importance, that adherence and consistency above all else are most important, what do you look at as like the next big rock that we have to tackle? Is it calorie balance? Is that kind of where you go? Yeah. So in the RP
1: diet 2.0 book, it's basically, it's, you have two parts, two sides to the pyramid. One entire side is all consistency and adherence. Like you got to nail that above all else. Because like you said, if you're not following a plan. It can be the greatest plan in the world. It means nothing if people don't follow it. You literally have to put in the work in order to get outcomes. So again, after that, you're going to start with calorie balance, really, really important uh, for like performance and body composition. So calorie balance is is first, assuming we've already covered adherence, of course. So calorie balance and then macronutrients. So again, like you know, if you do care more about performance and maintaining, you know, your lean tissue and all that macronutrients are pretty important. You want to nail your protein first. And in the the fat to carb ratio, you know, you did a good job of explaining that earlier. Some people do like to change it up a little bit. And for more general population folks, we don't really have an issue with that. Like we're more than happy to tweak that for people when it comes to people that have more performance goals. Well, yeah, you know, we want to be a little bit more considerate with, with carbs and fats and, uh, and then above that, you would get into nutrient timing, which is probably more of a minor detail compared to the first two. Um, and then, you know, things like supplement and food quality after that.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious with the, you have periodization in your name. And something that I talk a lot about is needing to periodize your approach. And, you know, how do you go through that? Again, something that is highly individual. If somebody's trying to lose body fat uh, for one person, they could, Go sixteen weeks without any issues and just make great progress and feel good. For somebody else, after you know six weeks, they might start to feel you know intense hunger and cravings and their moods all over the place and sleep is you know being sacrificed. That sort of thing. So uh, when you look at kind of periodizing a nutritional approach, um, how do you factor in that balance of you know let's kind of look at what your long-term goals are, um, getting back to maintenance calories even if somebody wants to then try to build some muscle? Like, how do you kind of look at the different goals, phases, and just overall periodization model?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really that's a really good question. So a lot of that, I think, has to deal with people's goals and you kind of have to deal with expectations and goals up front because everyone, I'm sure you've seen this a million times yourself, everyone will come to you and be like, hey, I want to lose fat and gain muscle. How do I do it? And you're like, awesome. Everyone wants to do that. It's not just you, like, where are you at? What are your goals? And a lot of people, they want to rush to reach their goals. You have to sort of explain and be like, okay, we can, like, you could rush to get to these goals. Here are the trade-offs involved. Does that seem like a good idea? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, no. You're like, okay, let's go slow and steady. You know, for most people, probably going to start with a fat loss diet. It doesn't have to be super aggressive or anything like that start people with maintenance too of course it's always a good idea i like to say maintenance is never really a bad idea but for most people like yeah they want to get more tone right and we can all laugh at the word tone but that's what most people want they, they want to look better so it's like okay probably not a good idea to start gaining weight then that's probably not going to make you look leaner it'll help you grow more muscle of course but so again start with a little bit of a fat loss phase it doesn't have to be crazy it doesn't have to be super aggressive do that first, get to a leaner starting point, And then once you're at that leaner starting point, then you can go ahead and gain weight. And that's totally cool. So it's a, it's a really tricky one. And I think actually it might go back to that Facebook group because you just have enough people in there that can sort of reinforce these ideas that even if you are new to it, they come in and be like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a male, 15% body fat. Like I want a mass and people big, like, uh, Maybe you should start with a little bit of a cut. You don't have to do anything crazy, of course. Start with a cut, get a little bit leaner, down to that like 10 12% and then mass. And people are like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. But it's really hard, man. It is a really hard thing because everyone wants results and they want it yesterday. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think if we were going to add something to that that base of of the pyramid, when we're talking about ad- adherence and consistency, patience would be right there because that is uh, yeah. you know, that's that's the number one killer, I believe, of of long term progress. It's just trying to do it too fast and trying to do everything all at once. Um, we're about to experience that when when the calendar turns 2021 and everybody sets their New Year's resolutions and they're going to try to rip off all things at once. It's going to be you know somebody who goes from not working out, not eating well. They're going to try and diet. They're going to eat. Try to eat. You know as clean as possible, they're going to work out six days a week. They're going to do cardio on top of that. They're going to get their supplements and they're going to burn out within a month. And that's, you know, the unfortunate reality of when we just try and force the issue instead of being patient. Um, even when it comes to, I think, you know, losing body fat, in and of itself can be a long, arduous process. A lot of times we have this perception that, that building muscle is, is more enjoyable or, or it it can happen faster. That's even slower. Um, so anytime you want to put on considerable muscle mass outside of, you know, your newbie gains period, um, it is a really fucking slow process and it can be, uh, painful just to, you know, it's almost like watching paint dry. You have to like wait for these little tiny minuscule gains and, um, yeah. So patience is, is absolutely necessary.
1: Patience is huge. So I actually think
0: that, I mean, you, you
1: just nailed this yourself. You just said it. delayed gratification could be the number one thing to success because everyone wants those results yesterday. And again, you just make marginal improvements and it's not just fitness. I mean, it's pretty much everything, business, personal finances, etc. cetera. Do a little bit each day, get a little bit better. Doesn't and again, the part that really kills people is they make these little incremental gains and they don't even notice them. And then they end up comparing themselves to, you know, fitness influencer 101 on Instagram, and they see only their highlight reel, they get totally discouraged. They're like, you know, F this, I'm done. Like f- sign me up for the next fad or quick fix, because like they don't have the patience to do it. I, you nailed it, man. I think it's super, super important to help people realize that because man, like you said, they set themselves up, they get so excited. They want to do everything at once. And then they burn out a few weeks later because it's not realistic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And then they jump to the next thing and that cycle can, can repeat itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, research would kind of agree with the fact that the number one predictor for success is delayed gratification, um, which, which is a good segue because you actually wrote a book about success. (laughs) Um, so that that's a good transition. So we can talk about that. Um, you know, it's called fit for, fit for success, uh, so tell yep. me about the the idea behind the book and and that's you know that process. I know talk about patients. I know what that requires. Um, having published a book myself and mm-hmm. and just that whole process being uh, very very long and arduous. Again, but uh, tell me about the book, the the idea behind it, and just the whole process for you.
1: Yeah, totally. So a couple of years ago, I had a hernia surgery and I couldn't train for a while. You know, that just kind of eats at me. You know, I can't do anything and. I just started walking around the neighborhood. That was the only thing I could do. The doctor, I was like, yeah, you can walk. You can walk all you want. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to start walking. Start started listening to audiobooks. And again, it was one of those things I finally had some time because we had enough people at RP helping that you know I didn't have to be so involved in the, the day-to-day tasks. And so again, it was just kind of getting back to those self-improvement roots of, hey, I'm just going to start learning. You know, I can't improve physically right now, but I can improve mentally. So again, I just started crushing any and all books I could get a hold of. And I just started making a bunch of notes. It was like, it didn't really matter what genre I was reading. It seemed like there was these key principles that kept popping up. They're like, hey, successful people do these handful of things. And it kept popping up all over the place. So I started making notes of them. Um, you now, fast forward to early 2020, you know, I had this idea in my head of like, hey, these are some key things that I think are really important. And it wasn't just fitness. I was like, boy, these things relate to pretty much everything. And then um, January, so not even a year ago, my wife's diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And again, this was before COVID hit. This was before all this stuff. So, you know, that was, that would be bad by itself. Then you throw in COVID, quarantine, shelter in place, all this. And I was like, man, I got to really take all these principles that I've been sort of theorizing in my head. And it's time to really put them into action this year. And again, I was at home for months at a time. We weren't really going anywhere. I'm like, you know what? You have a choice. When, when adversity hits, you can sort of curl up in a ball and, you know, be a victim or like you can make something good out of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a book because I think enough people are going to need to hear this in 2020 with everything that's happened that I think it's a really good time for this. And so I sat down and again, it goes back to just like fitness. I started writing a little bit each day. I'm not a writer, you know. Uh, but I just started writing a little bit each day. All of a sudden, I mean, you've done the process before. Tell me if this is how you did it. Just wrote a little bit each day. All of a sudden, you know, a month later, two months later, three months later, I had, you know, 40,000 words and handed it over to an editor. I was like, Hey, here you go.
0: Yep. Yep. Exactly. What I did was set aside um, a certain amount of time each day. And Mm -hmm. it didn't matter if I wrote 10 words or 10 pages. um, I was Mm going to write for that period of time. Sometimes, it just would flow and other times it was a struggle, but I would sit for that time period and know that I was working on it just a little bit, uh, you know, at a time, just like you said, Uh, one of the things that you mentioned that really resonates, which is, you know, you had all these things kind of thrown at you with, you know, the injury with, you know, your wife and being diagnosed with breast cancer and then throwing quarantine and Everything on top of that, a lot of people look at that situation as you know, why is this happening to me? And it seems mm-hmm. like you were able to change that perspective as how can I make this an opportunity to do something productive, uh, which I would say is is a principle of success. What were what were some of the other you know principles that you were able to to gather yeah. through your own just research and you know personal application?
1: So again, yeah. So there's seven of them. The first one, most fundamental, this is just like adherence when it comes to dieting is work ethic. You can have the greatest ideas in the world, just like you can have the greatest training or nutrition plan in the world. But until you execute and put that into practice, nothing comes of it. So work ethic is at the bottom in terms of it is the base of the pyramid. You have to have that in order to create success, right? It'd be like, you know, if you don't go to the gym, you're not going to get results. We've already talked about that a little bit. Number two, after that, You nailed it. So again, are things happening to you or are you influencing the outcomes? Internal versus external locus of control. Internal locus of control, you're like, what I do matters. What I'm going to do is going to influence my results and outcomes. You tend to be more optimistic. You tend to take more action because you have some self-belief in there that what you do matters. External locus of control, things happen to you. You have no control over them. If you have no control over things, are you going to try Are you going to do anything? Probably not. You get into a little bit of that learned helplessness feeling. So again, that's number two, number three, positive mindset. And again, a lot of these interrelate, you could probably make a pretty good argument. We could flip-flop a lot of these and I'd say, Hey, I think you're right. Uh, You got to have a positive mindset. And again, the more optimistic you are, the more you believe in yourself. If you have hope ties into internal locus of control, you're going to take more action. You take more action you have a higher work ethic, right? Like all these things interrelate. So those are the top three. Number four, discipline. You're not always going to feel like doing the stuff that you need to, because it's not fun, let's be honest. Just like in dieting, right? Like you get into, you know, week eight of a 10 week diet, you're like, boy, I'm done. But if you're disciplined, you just keep doing it anyways. And so then after that, you have things like your purpose and meaning, you know, why are you doing what you do? Super important. And then after that, you have failure we're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. And then at the very top, you have the idea of recharge because that's going to be very draining. So you can't just go, 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 go all the time. You got to allow for some time to, you know, step back, recharge, self-improvements, you know, mindfulness, things like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, those, those all resonate with me and, and really hit home. Um, the, the connection with two of them in particular that stand out is discipline and then the recharge, because I look at discipline and willpower, and oftentimes a lot of people think that they just don't have it, when in reality, they're putting themselves in a position where they're relying on it too much, so that, that discipline and willpower battery is always on empty. They've never actually recharged it. So if you look at, and we can just use the, the nutrition example since it's an easy one, um, sure. if if I am trying to be consistent in my nutrition with my nutrition and my cabinet is all full of junk and my fridge is all full of junk and I have to constantly look at that food hundreds of times over and make the decision not to eat it, I'm draining that discipline battery very quickly. And then when I have a stressful day, when I get into an argument with with my girlfriend, when you know the kids are acting crazy, I'm going to just... I'm going to break. I'm going to go in. I'm going to, you know, have all the food that I want and not even think twice about it. And then I'm going to feel guilty and be like, I just need more discipline. I shouldn't have done that. I just need more discipline. Reality is I can create my environment in a way that I'm not relying on discipline as much. Um, Is that something that you look at? Is it, you know, ways to have that discipline battery full so that when you really need it and you really need to call upon it, it's there and it's fully charged. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's like you're inside my brain because I always like to give that
1: same example. The people that seem to be the most disciplined, have the most willpower, they use it the least because they set themselves up in a position where they don't have to use it all the time. If you have sugary, sweet junk food treats on your counter all the time, you are going to eat them. I don't care who you are. We're all human. We're not robots. We're not machines. Although, you know, I wish that I was, it'd be really cool, but we're not. So again, set your environment up in a manner that you don't have to use it. You know, it's like the old example of, you know, people that sleep in the workout clothes or, you know, for me, if I'm going to wake up and do something in the morning, guess what? I have like my shirt and socks sitting right there. And then I just get up, hop out of bed, I grab it and I go do what I need to do set your environment up in a manner that's going to make you more successful. That's huge. And again, you'll know, go back to the recharge thing too. It seems like the people that practice uh, mindfulness more, you know, again, I think one of the biggest challenges, right. And especially in, in diet, we're sort of always battling ourselves because you have the part of your brain that's like, okay, let's go eat the junk food. Now we want that now, versus the more you know, human rational part. It's like, ah, maybe we don't. And again, if you can, Practice mindfulness and just allow that split second of thought in there that's like, oh, do I really want that? Or, you know, am I just stressed out or whatever? So again, all these things interrelate and the more practice you get with that, the better off you're going to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, obviously by the name of my podcast, Mind Over Macros, mindset yeah. is something that I believe in very much. And it's, it I think, you know, to your point, that's a lot of the times, that's the battle. Uh, if I were to ask the average person, uh, you know, what's a better choice? And and I gave them two foods like an apple or a donut, whatever, you know, uh, most people are going to know what to choose, but most of the time they don't make that decision. I think a lot of the times it's the, it's the mindset side of things and mm-hmm. um, our, our perception, our self-limiting beliefs. And then to your point, it's like if we could just in and, and this is something that I talk all of my clients through, just interject a tiny pause, even if it's three seconds before making that initial emotional reaction, Mm -hmm. um, then we, we put ourselves in a position of really making the decision that aligns with our goals. We, we all operate with some level of cognitive dissonance, which is we know what we want, but our actions don't align with that all the time. So how can we create this gap in the emotion to the decision and, and really just come from a place of mindful and intentional action, which doesn't mean you're going to get it right 100% of the time, sure, totally. but we're just looking for consistency. So if we get it right 80% of the time, we're in a much better place. Um, so how, how often do you kind of integrate mindset, mindfulness into coaching and, and just what you guys do? Uh, I think we're getting
1: better with it. Uh, I think, again, you know, you want to talk about just little, little mistakes that you make along the way. I used to probably just have that more hardcore mindset where I was like, no, you know, you used to think like mindfulness or whatever was just kind of baloney, whatever. And then, you know, you just start reading more, you learn more about it and you start talking to more successful people. And it just keeps, it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. And you're like, come huh, on, this is something that I really need to look into more. And again, if you talk about having to give yourself that little pause, let's take human interaction in general, right? So, Part of studying success was I also studied people that didn't do so well. I and, mean, you know, there's lots of books out there on failure. Well, what, usually what happens? People have bigger egos. Their emotions get in the way. They're more impulsive. They don't have that little slight pause in there. And Again, imagine interacting with someone in a work environment where you really snap with people, you're really emotional Oh, i have to think your chances of sort of rising up to the top are going to go down. So again, it's like, these things are universal. These principles relate to everything, not just, you know, not just fitness, which I think is the coolest part.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I find that, and maybe I'm just biased because I'm in the industry, but I feel like a lot <laughs> of times we can, use failure more productively in other areas of our lives. Like if I were to tell somebody, like, look at the success you've had in your career and think back at all the missteps and all the failures that you went through to get there. Uh, Most people can look at that pretty objectively and say, yeah, you know what? I learned a lot from my failures and without them, I would have never achieved this level of success. Then if we try to apply that same logic to nutrition, oftentimes it's more difficult for that Mm -hmm. because we like make one mistake and it's like, well, I screwed up my diet. I might as well just say, you know, fuck it. Why bother? I'm going to eat everything, you know, and just, you know, give. So (laughs) is that just personal bias where I, or do you find that's like, it's that logic difficult to connect to nutrition for a lot of people? Yes, a
1: little bit. I almost wonder, it's maybe not the perfect analogy, but you know, nutrition's around you all day long, right? You have more opportunities to mess up. So again, we have that negativity bias built in because we're human that, you know, we could do 50 things, right? We avoid, you know, those treatments, 49 times but the one time we slip up that weighs on us negativity bias and it just hangs around so it's like well were you really being did you you know really fail and again usually the people that just have the mindset of like okay well if I do fail I'm just going to learn from it and improve and keep going you know they're much better off versus the people like you said the what the hell effect they have one little slip up and like oh I ate an M&M well I'm now going to go Drink a six pack and eat a you know an entire pizza, and you're like, okay, that's that's maybe not great. You know, if you have a little slip up, just get right back on track. Yeah. It's no big deal. Consistency matters.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. People who have that mindset uh, that that is you know we talk about predictors for success. That right there, just being yeah. able to turn the page quickly, uh, that changes everything. Um, so when you look at your your breakdown of kind of like the seven different aspects of success that you wrote about, um, how did you personally? Uh, sharpen those tools. If you look at just trying to get better at, you know, continuing to develop, you know, work ethic and, you know, the the discipline and spending time to recharge. Which, admittedly, that's like my number one biggest challenge is is having time to to recharge. What what do you do just through your day to day life to continue to sharpen those tools?
1: Yeah, so there's a little there's a little snippet at the end of each chapter that kind of gives some actionable takeaways. So, for example, I'll throw out a couple of them. So, work ethic. And this is honestly it seems so simple that a lot of people they might even laugh at it, a daily to-do list. Seems simple, seems like okay, really like that's your big secret. I'm like, okay, hear me out. Cuz I didn't do it for the longest time and my buddy Dr. Mike was like, "Dude, you don't have a daily to-do list." And I'm like, Oh, not really. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm mature and responsible. I don't need one. I started making one in my phone. Boom. I check it off. You know, every single day I got like probably 10 or 15 things on there. Some things I do every single day. Other things are, you know, stuff that pop up and by like nine or 10 in the morning, I have almost everything checked off. And I'm like, huh, this is really cool. You know, again, it, it, it's not even super important stuff. It could be something like do the dishes, right? Well, guess what? Now my wife doesn't have to do them. Does that help, you know, relationship wise? I'd have to ask her, but I would like to think so, you know, because it's something she wakes up every morning. Like the dishes are done, you know. So again, something is that that simple. We go to discipline. It's just like basically pre-commit. You know, have a set specific plan in place. It's not. Oh, I'm going to exercise tomorrow. It's like no, nope. I'm going to go to the gym at 4:30 p.m. after I get out of work. My clothes are already in my bag. I'm good to go. Because again, if you have more general rules or, you know, whatever it is, you're less likely to follow through it. You get done with work. Oh, I'm tired and stressed out. Oh, what was my plan? Oh, do I need to, you know, was I going to run or was I going to go lift? It's like, no, I'm going to the gym. Here's my plan. Yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do in the gym. If you know all that beforehand, the chances of your success go up exponentially. Um, And even on just like the recharge thing, I just try to have a more predictable uh, set morning routine. For me, I just know that if I don't do things earlier in the morning, and I'm not a morning person, listen, I would love to sleep in, you know, don't get me wrong, I would love to sleep in, it feels great. But I know that because of social media, and because of all the distractions that we have, I know that I have to get things done in the morning, because if I don't, Ooh, two small kids, homeschool, you know, wife, work, all this stuff. Like there's just so many excuses built in. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to do it today because I got, you know, whatever, whatever. It's like, no, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to get it done. And I do all that. And I, you know, hopefully I'm in a lot better spot.
0: Yeah. And I love that they all have carryover. Like what you're just describing is exactly what we talked about, which is setting up your schedule and your environment in a way that you don't have to rely on discipline as much. Cause if you did put it off, then you'd have to deal with all of the distractions and things that could get in the way. So you're setting up your schedule so that you don't have to rely on that discipline battery as often. Um, And the fact that each one of those things is kind of Sharpening your mindset as well. You're you're making promises to yourself and you're keeping them. You're checking the boxes, so you're building more confidence in your ability to follow through. So that when you do say, "Oh, I have this ambitious goal that I want to reach," well, now you've built up that belief in yourself that you're actually going to follow through with it. Versus somebody who makes promises to themselves and doesn't follow through, there's no reason to believe that if they say, "You know what, I'm going to start this New Year's resolution," uh, they're they're coming at it from a place of doubt already inherently built in. So if you mm-hmm. can, you know, put some of these daily tasks, the to-do list, you know, having, you know, intentional action items and checking them off. You're just building a little bit more confidence throughout and just sharpening your mindset. Uh, so I think, I think that's awesome. Uh, so I, I want to give you an opportunity to, to let everybody know where they can, where they can get the book and and how they can learn more.
1: Yeah. So the best spot is just follow uh, RP Strength on Instagram. Uh, follow myself on Instagram uh, at nick.shaw.rp. And uh, the book's out for pre-order right now. And uh, on. Tuesday, the 17th, it's going to be uh, live on
0: Amazon. Awesome. I'll make sure that I post all of that in the show notes. Um, so before I let you go, I have one other question for you. Uh, when you started RP, it seemed like you had like at least you know a, a pretty good pulse on the industry and just some foresight on where things were going and being kind of some of the early adopters to evidence-based nutrition and, and building that community and everything that you've been able to do where do you see the industry going from here? Like if you had to predict, uh, you know, where we're going in the next five, 10 years, like, what do you see the direction? Um, just from, you know, your perspective,
1: I would say more online stuff. I think we're already starting to see that. I think, uh, COVID and 2020 really sped up that timeline a little bit, but you know, things like Peloton and all that, it seemed like more and more stuff was moving online anyways. Um, you know, who knows 2021 might still see a lot of people hesitant to go back to a gym, you know, hopefully long term we'll you know, get back to that and a lot of people they like that in person community aspect. So it's probably always going to be there, but I just see things trending a bit more towards more online, more uh, technology app stuff that's kind of what I would predict.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I really appreciate the conversation. This was you know, super helpful for me personally, and I'm sure um, everybody listening will agree with that. I'll post uh, all the you know, Instagram handles, websites and everything in the show notes so you guys can follow Nick and RP and stay up to date on everything that they've got going on. But uh, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. I thought this was awesome. Absolutely. We'll talk soon.